Revelation chapter 22 and verse 20. Revelation chapter 22 and verse 20. The Bible says, He which testifies these things says, Surely I come quickly. Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. So the Lord here says, I'm coming quickly. And then John, who's writing this for us to have, says, Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Let's pray one more time together, and let's ask the Lord to speak to us from his word, what he has prepared for us tonight. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to worship together, to hear your word together. I'm asking that as the messenger, as the pastor, the shepherd to this flock, the flock of God, that you would help me to feed the flock of God, that which has been prepared in the spirit from your word for us. Let our ears be open that we might receive the word of God and our hearts as well, that we would receive it with meekness, this word that is able to save our souls. I thank you, Lord, for each of my refuge family members that are on this call and all of those that will be watching this call later on, the recording of it. I pray let the word of God go forth freely and minister to its intended targets in our hearts and our lives for our church. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. If you're standing, you may be seated. Amen. I alluded to it this past Sunday. Uh, in my message about the SpaceX program, the SpaceX program that launched this past Saturday. So this past Saturday, the SpaceX program launched two Americans into space. And the liftoff was the first orbital crewed launch to depart from American soil since NASA retired its space shuttle fleet in 2000. 11. Now, some since then have said with a tone intended to be humorous in light of all the events that are going on in the world today, uh, I saw one meme that said this, SpaceX astronauts left Earth recently. Good call. Another one, another one says it like this. Uh, I saw a tweet that said it this way. Why couldn't I be one of those astronauts that left Earth today? Now, as a minister, of course, uh, some scriptures come quickly to mind, uh, kind of in the same vein of things. The Apostle Paul in Philippians 1.23, Paul said, I'm in a hard place. Uh, kind of if he was using our vernacular, he said, I'm between a rock and a hard place. I have a desire to depart to be with Christ, which is far better. Considering all the circumstances that were going on in his world and in his life, he said, I'm telling you what, there's a big part of me that just wants to leave this earth and be with Jesus. And that's, a, again, the same tone that the Apostle John uh, wrote with in Revelation chapter 22, verse 20. This is while he's on the island of Patmos. Uh, he writes down the words of our Lord, which says, Surely I come quickly. This is the Lord speaking. He says, I'm going to come quick. 
And John, the apostle on the island of Patmos says, bring it on, Lord. You know, even so, come on, go ahead. Let it happen today. And uh, I'm going to be honest. There are some days that I long for heaven a little more than other days. And those days have become more and more frequent as of recently. The earth that we live on, it rotates one time every 23 hours, 56 minutes, and 4.09053 seconds. They got it down to, to uh, I don't know what that is, the 10,000th of a second. Now, the circumference of the earth, we could say the waistline, <laughs> the waistline of the earth is 40,075 kilometers. Therefore, the surface of the earth at the equator, at the belt line, moves at a speed of 460 meters per second. That is roughly 1,000 miles per hour. Now, you thought you've never been over 65 miles an hour. Of course, who, who are we joking? We probably have all been a little over that. Uh, but you, you think in your mind there is a certain speed that you've been at that was the maximum miles per hour you've ever gone. But did you know that even while we are sitting and standing during this call, that we are moving at approximately 1,000 miles per hour? Now, that's fast. And even though it has been moving that fast for a very long time, lately it seems like things have been moving even faster, which is really not too far off what, from what Scripture implies. In Matthew 24, verse 22, it says, And except those days should be shortened, there should be no flesh saved. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. Now, some take that to mean that essentially the number of days will be shortened, and if it weren't, nobody would survive the wrath of God that's coming against the sin of man. But other students of Scripture have looked at that and have thought it to perhaps imply that literally the length of the day is going to grow shorter and shorter. Either way, I see in Scripture that our enemy realizes the urgency of the hour. Revelation chapter 12 and verse 12, it says, Woe to the inhabitants of earth and of the sea, for the devil is come down to you having great wrath, because he knows that he has but a short time. This tells me that the devil, when recognizing that there's not much time left, increases the intensity with which he works. And I've got to ask myself, what about the church? What about me? What about us? We're told in Romans chapter 13, verse 11, I read from the Living Bible. Another reason for right living, the Apostle Paul says to the church of Rome, Romans 13, verse 11, another reason for right living is this. You know how late it is. Time is running out. Wake up, for the coming of the Lord is nearer now than when we first believed. 
The night is far gone. The day of his return will soon be here. So quit the evil deeds of darkness and put on the armor of right living as we who live in the daylight should. Be decent and true in everything you do so that all can approve your behavior. Our adversary, this devil that scripture refers to as, we see him referred to in various ways. In the beginning, we see him as the serpent. In the Old Testament, prophets refer to him as an angel, as a Lucifer. Revelation calls him a dragon. Jesus called him a thief and a liar. And in Revelation chapter 12 and verse 10, and I hope I have a listening church tonight. Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, we find that the adversary, the devil, is called the accuser of the brethren. The accuser of the brethren. And I want to make sure that we are well aware of how busy the accuser has been lately. You see, the devil specializes in serving up three things in various ways. He likes to serve up distraction to keep people occupied and distracted with things that are not eternal. He wants to keep us discouraged, feeling defeated, and as though we cannot do anything, and we cannot win, and we cannot survive. And he also, if he cannot distract you, if he cannot discourage you, then he wants to divide us. For he knows that a house divided cannot stand. And lately I have felt strongly in prayer that the devil has sought to plant seeds of division through thoughts of suspicion. I'm going to say this again because I feel it very strong in my spirit. The devil, as of lately, has sought to plant seeds of division through thoughts of suspicion. Since COVID-19 hit U.S. soil, the accuser of the brethren has utilized this crisis as an opportunity to cause people to become more suspicious of everything and everyone. Because through suspicion, he is causing people to become distracted with less important things than the eternal and reaching the lost. And through suspicion, he has caused people to be discouraged and feel defeated as though they have no voice. And through suspicion, he has sought to bring about division, dividing humanity and even the church so that it cannot stand strong. And let me tell you, suspicion is not a gift of the Spirit. Some have claimed that their gift of suspicion is of the Lord. But I've got new news for you. The strategy of inciting suspicion is a work of Satan. Suspicion defined is this. It is a state of mental uneasiness and uncertainty. It is synonymous with the word doubt. Everyone say that with me. Doubt. Say it again. Doubt. Let me ask you, do you think doubt comes from God or from Satan? Another definition of suspicion is the act or an instance of suspecting something wrong 
without proof or on slight evidence. A synonymous word for this is mistrust. No trust. Again, trust is synonymous with faith. And this is saying that where suspicion is, is the absence of trust or faith. I see an example in the Bible of suspicion at work in the life of Saul. You can read about it in 1 Samuel chapter 18. It is shortly after David kills that giant named Goliath. And when they're coming back into Jerusalem, the people come and sing. And Saul hears the song, and it goes a little like this. Saul has slain his thousands, and David has slain his ten thousands. And the Bible says in 1 Samuel 18, 8, that Saul became very angry. And this saying was displeasing to him. Therefore, he said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands, but to me they have ascribed thousands. Now what remains, Saul says, what is left but the kingdom that David would take the kingdom from? Me? Verse 9 says, so Saul was suspicious of David from that day forward. And the very next verse says that an evil spirit came upon Saul, and he tried to kill David in rage. You see, suspicion is an adversary of the church and of unity. I like what Abram said. Abram, recognizing that there was tension that was coming up between the men that served him and the men that served Lot, his nephew, who was like a brother to him. And those two peoples were starting to have tension between each other. And Abram looked at Lot and said, let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and you, between my herdmen and your herdmen. And I love what he says in Genesis 13, verse 8, the final portion of that verse. It says, we be brethren. I would like to look at my church family, and I wish I could do so in person and tell you, we be brothers. We are sisters and brothers. This is one of the reasons why I appreciate the prefix that we call each other by when we greet one another and we say brother so-and-so and sister so-and-so because it is a constant reminder in the forefront of our language and our thoughts that you're my brother and you're my sister. We may come from two different lives. We may look different. We may talk different. We may like different foods, but we be brothers. I would like to even look beyond the walls of the church and look into my community and whoever is sharing this planet with me here in the Quad Cities and the surrounding areas. And I want to look at them and say, listen, we are brothers. We are brothers. Now, in no way, shape, or form am I trying to trivialize or minimize the magnitude and the importance of what is happening and the voices that right now are crying out wanting to be heard. Whether it is the genuine concern that people still have over COVID-19 and the caution they choose to live by or 
the outcry over racial injustice and the abuse of power by those sworn to be protectors of peace in our communities. The prophet, let me kind of take a right turn here and, and show you a story that I hope happens tonight. And I've referred to the story much in the past in messages. But the prophet Elisha found himself surrounded by enemies. And the young man who assisted him at that time was filled with fear, was filled with the suspicion that they were going to be killed, that they were going to be overtaken as prisoners. And the Bible says in 2 Kings 6.17 that Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened his eyes, the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. I believe that God has desires to open up our eyes tonight and our community and realize there are more for us than against us. I, I, I pray that God would help us to realize that there is no weapon that is formed against the church that can prosper. I want him to open our eyes. I want him to enable our vision so that we could see the invisible. Stick with me tonight, please. Don't let me lose you now. Stay with me. 2 Corinthians 4.18, it says, While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. This scripture, among many others, point to the fact and to the reality that what we see with our human eyes is only part of reality. It's only one side of reality. What is seen is actually just temporary. It's going to dissolve. It's going to burn up with a fervent heat. But God says what you cannot see with your human eyes is eternal things. A spiritual realm exists beyond what we could see with our eyes. Follow me now. You see, I know that what we can visibly see happening in our world right now is just the tip of the iceberg. Maybe you've heard that expression before, the tip of the iceberg. When something's happening, something big is happening, and they say it's just the tip of the iceberg, what they are saying is what you see above the surface of the water, like the iceberg, is just a very small portion of what truly exists beneath the surface. What we see right now is only what is above the surface. What is visible is only the tip of the iceberg. Hear me, the civil unrest, the uncertainty of our global economy, the pandemic that is still running rampant, not just in America, but other parts of the world, with Brazil becoming the second most infected and affected country in the world here recently. What we are seeing with earthquakes, what we are seeing with plagues of locusts, what we are seeing with civil unrest is just what is visible above the surface. But what is invisible is far greater in magnitude. Let me draw this parallel, if I will. What caused the unsinkable Titanic 
to sink. It was not what was above the surface and visible. For that, they could have avoided. But it was what was beneath the surface that brought catastrophe. And that is what I feel so heavy on my heart to awaken the Refuge Church to tonight. Matthew chapter 24, verse 6 through 8. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled. For all these things must come to pass. But the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famine and pestilence and earthquakes in diverse places. And Jesus says, and this is the beginning of sorrows. This scripture was brought to my attention recently by Pastor Rima Duncan. Brother Rima Duncan has preached multiple, multiple times here at the Refuge Church, and he and his family have gone to be church planters in Hyde Park there near downtown Chicago. And here recently, he has been very active on social media. In fact, I would encourage you to follow him, Rima Duncan, R-E-M-A Duncan. I'd encourage you to follow him and watch some of the videos, and don't just watch just the beginning, watch them through to the end. And he shares some very insightful things as he walks and drives the streets of downtown Chicago and grieves over what is becoming of his city. But he brought this to my attention, this scripture. And he said the word nation there in the book of Matthew 24, the word nation comes from the Greek word ethnos which literally means race, race or ethnicity. What Jesus says is in the times just shortly before the coming of the Lord, there will be ethnicities rising against ethnicities, races rising against races. Now that brings up a, an interesting subject, the subject of race. I'm going to read for you because I feel like it's that insightful and that important. I'm going to read for you an article from a website called Answers in Genesis. You might want to write that down and look it up later. It's a great website that uh, basically promotes creation against evolution. And Answers in Genesis website says this. Listen very carefully. The human heart is a factory of all kinds of evil, including the evil of racism. Still, while Darwin certainly did not invent racism, his ideology of evolution has fostered its growth. Consider the case of Oda Banga, who was a pygmy from Central Africa, who in 1906 was caged in the Bronx Zoo with an orangutan. Remember the Jews in the gas chambers devised by Hitler to advance the Aryan master race. Reflect on the Australian Aborigines who were hunted down in, 1800s, in the 1800s by evolutionists in their search of the missing link. The full title of Darwin's most famous work included some stark words. His most famous work is known by the public as The Origin of Species, but that was not the full title of his book. Listen carefully to the full title. 
on the origin of species by means of natural selection, comma, or the preservation of favored races in the struggle of life. Darwin envisioned the spontaneous formation of simple life evolving into higher forms through the pitiless forces of nature selecting the fittest and the strongest. Darwin demonstrated how he believed evolution shaped man in his subsequent book, The Descent of Man. In that book, he theorized that man, having evolved from apes, had continued evolving as various races, with some races more developed than others. Darwin classified his own white race as more advanced than those lower organisms such as pygmies, and he called different people groups savage, low, and degraded. This is the father of evolution. Darwin wasn't the first to propose biological arguments for racism, but his works fueled the most ugly and deadly racism. Even evolutionist Stephen Jay Gould wrote of this, biological arguments for racism may have been common before 1859, but they increased by orders of magnitude following the acceptance of evolutionary theory. The site goes on to say this, Darwin's error was later exposed through the field of genetics. What Darwin didn't know was that people, all of us, all people, have the same brown colored skin pigment called melanin. Every one of you and I on this call right now have the same brown colored skin pigment called melanin. A person's genetic makeup determines his potential to produce a certain level of melanin in their body. That's why we see a range of skin shades from people that are light, middle brown, to dark. But all of us are some shade of brown. Our differences really, though, are only skin deep. Through an understanding of biblical history and genetics, we see that variations in human skin pigmentation are the result of reshuffling the genetic potential of Adam and Eve. Because keep in mind, all of us have Adam and Eve as our mother and our father, and then the ape that came aboard the ark. After the scattering of the Tower of Babel, Groups of people became more isolated, allowing for concentration of certain variations within those groups. Thus, the, the development of lighter or darker skin in certain demographic groups has nothing to do with molecules to man evolution, but only the decreased genetic potential for variation in isolated populations. Simply stated, let me just break all of that down to this simple statement. Darwin was wrong. Darwin was wrong. Humans are not split into various races at higher and lower stages of evolution. The Bible makes it clear that God specifically created mankind in his image and that we are all descendants of Adam, that first man, and Eve, the mother of all living, according to Genesis 3.20. Let me skip ahead. I'm here to tell my church family that humanity really is not made up of races, 
but I see evidence that only one race exists, and that's the human race. I'm not denying that there are existences of differing ethnicities, but let us understand that there was one race, and that is the human race. Really, up until Darwin, when the word race was ever used, it was talking about a runner's game. And I know of one race, and that is the race to the finish line. When I cross it, I will, I will put my feet from the soil on this planet to streets of gold, and I plan on finishing that race. Humanity is speaking. I won't be much longer, so please bear with me. Humanity is speaking right now all over our country and the world. Some that have been speaking and crying, they have implemented violence. And this not only displays strong feelings, but it provokes strong feelings from the audience who's watching. And many of these strong feelings are being expressed in a very dangerous way on social media, where people, even good church folks, if I could say it that way, are posting before they're praying. And they're posting words without thought and without prayer that are doing more damage than good. And my refuge family, we ought to be very careful in what we post. But whatever the case, I want to be one of the people that are listening. Listen, there is a cry that is rising from the earth. And the Lord is telling his church to listen. There is a cry of unrest. Unrest. I feel strongly led in the spirit to conclude this message speaking about three things. Three things. Preference, pride, and prejudice. Preference, pride, and prejudice. There is a progression here that I want you to understand. And we should be aware of the presence of each of these when they're in our lives and especially when they're in the church. Let me first talk about preference. I won't be very long on these. The word preference. This is not, I'm not just referring to uh, whether you choose paper or plastic at the grocery store, if that's even an option anymore. Or whether you like sweet or unsweet tea. Or if you're going out for ice cream, if you're going to get country-style ice cream or Wadi's ice cream. Or if you want a basketball player to be on your team, if you'll pick Michael Jordan or LeBron James, which is a no-brainer. You'd go with Michael Jordan every time. Now, when I talk about preference, preference, I'm going to specifically speak of this just to hit home as it has to do with attraction. It is said that beauty is in the eye of the beholder. What might appear beautiful to one person might not be even appealing to another person. And I've got news for you. That's okay. That's okay. I'm glad that my wife thought I was good looking. And whether or not the rest of you think I am, it don't matter. Now I'm going to pick on my son here. If he is attracted to girls with brown hair, and not sandy blonde hair like his mother has. That's okay. I might differ in opinion with him, but 
That's okay. Now let, let, let me probe and test our spirits a little deeper. If my son comes home and tells me that he is attracted to a young lady that has lighter skin or darker skin than his parents, that is okay. We're talking about preference here. I have known of situations over the course of my lifetime where parents preferred, and I use that in quotations, they preferred that their kids stay within their own race when dating. And they tried to impose their quote-unquote preference onto their children. I have seen this not only with the distinction of skin color, hear me now, but I have also seen this same thing evident in class and in socioeconomic standing. I have seen some parents that did not want their son or daughter having anything to do with that boy or girl because they came from a blue collar family or their family uh, had a little less or a little more. I've seen where preference becomes prejudice. I've got news for you. If you haven't noticed yet, we have multiple couples at the Refuge Church that are in biracial relationships, and that's okay. And in case you didn't know, your pastor and his wife are a biracial couple. Now, you might not look at it as that, because my skin tone is not as dark. I don't have as much melanin uh, or the evidence of it in my, in my body. But listen, when I sat at a restaurant with a church family, nowhere near here, so don't even be suspicious of who it was. It was a long, long ways away from here. But I sat at a table for a dinner across from a minister and his family. And the minister and I were engaging in conversation and my wife and the minister's wife and their adult daughter were engaging in conversation. And when my wife told that those group of people that her husband's mother was born in Mexico, they apologized to my wife for her husband being Mexican. That's a problem. That's offensive. And that does not belong in the church. You see, Preference, if we're not careful, pending how serious we are about it, can turn into prejudice. Let me talk quickly about pride. One of the most looked forward to special services in our church's history has been our All Nations Sunday service. We love All Nations Sunday. It's a service where we appreciate and we celebrate diversity within our congregation and in our community. What I've been troubled in my spirit about is through my years of ministry when I see saints of God adopt pride in their culture. Some might say brown pride, black pride, white pride. Listen, that is a problem. I don't want you to misunderstand me, so I said it plainly. It's a problem. When we start lifting up one race above the others. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not talking about celebrating our diversity. 
I'm not even talking about celebrating our cultures and our history of our families and where our origins date back to. That's okay. But when we start saying that word pride and it becomes a part of our mindset and our language, let me remind you that pride nowhere in scripture is spoken of in a positive way. Pride is sinful. Pride is sinful. Celebrating our cultures and our differences is beautiful. But falling into the scriptural sin of pride is deadly and finds itself in alignment with the sin of prejudice. Where do you think prejudice comes from? It comes from the pride of a certain race against others or certain ethnicities against others. And then, of course, prejudice. Pride and prejudice have the same purpose, and that is to divide and not unite. And the kingdom divided, as I've already said, cannot stand. What we need, we, are, we should not necessarily look for preference, pride, or prejudice. What we need is perspective that can only be gained from learning and from listening, attempting to see things differently than only through the lens that you were raised with, seeing the value of things through the eyes of others who do not look like you, who do not act like you, who do not talk like you, who do not think like you. Do not use your ignorance as an excuse. You have watched me tonight teach this lesson through a colored lens that causes everything to appear to you in some shade or some variation of that color. But tonight, what I want to do, I want to pull that colored lens that is causing our worldview to be so tainted. Let me remind you who you are. You are a blood box. Spirit-filled, called by the name, child of God. And if we are not careful, we will allow the God of this world, who wants to blind the minds of them that do not believe, but if he could do more damage by tainting or tinting the lens through which we see, who is providing the lens in my life through which I see the world. First Corinthians chapter 12, verse 31, it says, But covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet show I unto you a more excellent way. My title for tonight's message is this. Why are we still here? Is anybody asking that of themselves lately? Why are we still here? Here, I'll tell you why, church family, why the Lord hasn't come back to rapture us, why the church isn't already raptured up from the earth, the, the earth and gone. Why am I still here? Because like Paul, we are called to show the world a more excellent way. That verse of scripture, 1 Corinthians 12, 31, is the last verse of scripture in chapter 12 that's talking about the gifts of the Spirit and the operation of them in the church. Can you guess what the next verse, the next chapter is all about? What is the more excellent way? It's the way of charity. That word charity is agape in the Greek, which is a Christ-like, self-sacrificing love. 
where Paul would say, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not love, I have become as a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, so that I could remove mountains and have not love, I am nothing. If I give all my goods to feed the poor, and if I give my body to be burned and not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. Love envies not. Love flaunts not itself and is not puffed up. Does not behave itself improperly. Seeks not his own. It is not easily provoked. Thinks no evil. Rejoices not in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Bears all things. Believes all things. Hopes all things and endures all things. Love never fails. But if there are prophecies, they shall fail. If there are tongues, they shall cease. If there is knowledge, it shall vanish away. But we know in part, we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect is come, that which is imperfect is done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. Are you ready for it, church? He says, for now we see through a glass dimly, but then face to face. Up to a certain point in this message, you had this tiny little piece of tape that had a little bit of red coloring on it that caused your entire view to be affected by that. And listen, while we're in this world, we all have, we all have views that we are looking through. It's the home we grew up in. It's the family we grew up with. It's the experiences that we had. But what the Lord wants us to do is he wants to remove the scales from off our eyes. And everything that he peels back, he opens up our eyes to see a little bit more. Isn't that what Joel prophesied? That his spirit will be poured out and the old men shall dream dreams and the young men shall see visions. You see, because the spirit of truth brings enlightenment. And one day that lens is going to be removed forevermore and we'll be able to see even as he sees. Open our eyes. Why are we still here? Because we have to show the world. This is what people that get along look like from all races, from all ethnicities, from all backgrounds, from all cultures. Doesn't matter the color of our skin or the language we speak. We serve God. We serve one God and he wants to bring us together. It's in the church. The church is the answer. Let's pray. Lord, we love you and thank you so much for this day. Thank you for allowing us to be, Lord, together in this service. I pray, Lord, that you would continue to speak to our hearts and minds. Help us, oh Lord, to grow in the grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we have been and we will continue to be a multi-generational and a multicultural church. We will celebrate our diversity. We will celebrate each other's differences, but we will do so in unity. There is room at your cross. There is room in heaven. And Lord, we pray that there will be room on our church pews and at our altars for every nation, for every ethnicity, for every tribe, every culture, every language. Oh Lord, I pray that the demographics of our congregation will be properly representing the demographics of our city and even more. I pray that the Refuge Church will show the Quad Cities what it looks like, what God's family looks like, what the law of love looks like. We need you to show us, Lord, the more excellent way so that we might show the world. 
Oh, Lord, let my spirit be checked today. If I'm more disturbed about property that's being destroyed rather than lives that have been taken, God, let us have an ear to hear what not only the spirit is saying, but let us hear our neighbors. Let us hear our communities. They are crying out for an answer. Oh, Lord, guide us. The answer is not more government. The answer is not more legislation. The answer is in the power the saving power of Jesus Christ. I love, I love you, Lord, and I thank you for all that you've done. Praise God, praise God. Before I let you go, I want you to know something. Your voice matters. Hear me tonight. Your voice matters. The accuser of the brethren is at work to bring suspicion in the minds of every one of you. And your voice matters in this fight. I pray that, that people white or black, brown or yellow, whatever color you are, okay, I pray that your voice, whether in a private text, a phone call, or perhaps a social media post, you will let the people of whatever color you're not know that, listen, I love you, and that's not changing, and we're in this together. We're all part of the human race, and we're in this race of faith. We're fighting the good fight of faith. We ought to cry out for injustice. We ought to cry out against it. But we ought to do so in a more excellent way. And let us show the world what that looks like. I love every one of you. If you ever have a question about any of this, don't hesitate to call me, text me. Let me know if you have concerns or questions. I'm available. I'm more than available. Amen. And I, I, I hope that none of you have kind of pushed this off as Pastor Renton about this subject again. I believe it's necessary in this time, and this, this, this civil unrest gives the church opportunity to have a voice. And I want to assure the Refuge Church, we're not going anywhere, and, and, and if anything, we're going forward. And we're going to continue to be a diverse congregation that are unified together under the banner of the name of Jesus and the Spirit of our God. I love you all. God bless you. Amen. You're dismissed tonight. Refuge Youth Church is at 8 o'clock. For those that can join the call, we hope that they can. Forgive me for going long tonight. Amen. But my heart was heavy, and I'm glad I had an opportunity to share it with you. God bless you in Jesus' name.